You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, I'm joined by Sugai Young. Sugai is a visionary, longevity investor, and a man on a mission to extend the healthy lifespans of at least 1 billion people. Sugai's latest book is called The Science and Technology of Growing Young. Sugai, welcome to the show. Hi, Joey. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with you today. <laughs> we are excited to have you here. So in the book, you talk about a longevity revolution that is undergoing we have hosted several guests that have discussed anti-aging on the show, uh, so it is great to have you on. But let's start off with just quite a basic question. Let's look at kind of your origin story. What got you interested in anti-aging? Um, well, unfortunate reality is that um, we all need to have like a wake-up call, like like a shock to start to be interested in our own health mm-hmm. or the human biology. So I had two wake-up calls. One, it, it was back in 2005, and it started with my father, uh, lung cancer. He survived, but the quality of his life has never recovered. Well, and, my, and the second was my high cholesterol level, uh, which I discovered uh, back in 2014, And uh, I had an offer, uh, well, recommendation from doctors to take um, statins, like a special class of drugs uh, every day for the rest of my life. And I was so against that. Like at this time, I thought I'm going to be living another 40 years. If you ask me today, uh, it's much, much more than that. But I I kind of thought I'm I'm a healthy man, you know, mid-age. Like why would I need medication every day to to fix my health. So I started to look to a lot of things and uh, I'm not a biohacker. I'm, I'm actually very conservative, as you can see from the book. But um, what I've discovered is just completely new world. We completely neglected that this whole um, notion of medicine, like supporting your ability of your body to self-heal itself, treating it with the right food, with the right you know, set of physical exercises, um, its ability to relax and meditate and reflect like a sense of purpose and you know, all of these things. So I started to um, share my experience with a lot of people. I saved few lives just by sending them to doctors in the right time for their own disease. And then you're on the hook. When people call you and say, well, Sergey, you pushed me to do this uh, uh, screening and I discovered early stage can- cancer. You know what? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm fully treated. I'm, yeah, I recovered. Thank you. You saved my life. After three or five conversations like that, you're on the hook. You, you finally realize you find your mission. Life is not about money. Life is about changing as many uh, uh, lives as possible. When this is where this whole mission of like bringing affordable an accessible version of medicine to the world uh, came from. We've had David Sinclair, who was yeah. on the show. When he came on, he was kind of campaigning for aging to actually be classified 
as a disease. Um, I think that most people, when they think of aging, they think of gray hairs. You know, I'm 25, but I got a, I got a few coming, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I got some. <laughs> they think of, you know, bad backs in the UK. They think of bus passes and pensions. I would love to know, how do you kind of conceptualize aging? Kind of how would you uh, define it? And I guess, what do you think are the main causes behind it? Yeah, so a very interesting question. As, as I say, it's not even $1 billion question. It's $1 trillion question. Um, few things like, well, let me just share you. I'm pretty new to the field, right? So if, if you think about David Sinclair, uh, Aubrey de Grace, some other like Neil Barzilai, George Shores, there's so many great names that we have in, in scientific circles. They've been doing it for decades. And I've been doing this for the last uh, probably four years. If you look at the investment side, like establishment of longevity vision fund. So can I just share with the audience, like what were my you know, simple, sometimes pretty obvious takeaways from that? Sure. Well, yeah. So number one, we humans, we always like silver bullet solution. Well, like, well, the guy will come on the podcast, will say, well, if you eat this or if you take this, well, here's the solution to something. The very interesting reality is that human biology and our health uh, is such a complex thing that it's just not possible. The solution will come from one direction. So like, and as, be prepared. Every time you hear something, um, on, on like, like a comprehensive plan to upgrade your, the, your health or extend your health span or lifespan, it's always going to be like combination of the things and you need to execute on majority on all, all of them. That was pretty counterintuitive uh, to me as well. So that's one. Like, because if single solution to aging would exist in this world, then it's mother nature would just figure it out in the process of evolution or the great minds and great hearts that we have uh, in academic institution would, would find this answer in the process of scientific research. So the answer is that it's, it's an extremely complex requires combination of the things. So that's one. Two is um, we all genetically predisposed to age. Uh, but there's, there's just a lot of disagreement when aging starts. Some of the radical you know, uh, people in, uh, in a community say it starts with your first day on earth, with the date of your birth. But when, where aging uh, actually uh, starts to accelerate is when you complete your evolutionary program. And, and in evolutionary terms, our program is to um, give birth to our kids and uh, take care of them until certain age. Uh, anywhere between 12 and 18, depending on what century you're talking about. And, uh, and that's it. So after that, mother nature uh, is not in need for you. So this whole like aging clock starts at this point and, and it's again, genetically predisposed. We already know all or almost all 3000 genes in our DNA, uh, which are responsible for your longevity and your increased lifespan or for your shorter lifespan and then like, you know, all the um, aging processes to start in your body. So it's almost like a killing mechanism um, defined and developed by my, mother nature for you. And then it's, it's very interesting, like, you know, all of the killer diseases that we we're currently fighting with, uh, which are cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and neurogenerative diseases. So these four causes are responsible for 90% of death 
after age of 50. Uh, so, and your chances, your risk to uh, uh, suffer from all of these diseases increase exponentially after you start your aging process, which is some of, I mean, if you ask me, it's anywhere between when I'm 40 or 40, 45 years old. We obviously see a lot of deviations unless, unless you like genetically lucky or unlucky in, in genetic lottery. This is where this uh, whole thing starts. And, and, and it's just very difficult to fight it on uh, so many fronts. And what we've done so far in, uh, in the field of human health, we've been fighting early death. We've been fighting with you know, viruses, uh, bacteria. We're now fighting with cancer. We're actually right in the middle of winning the war against cancer. Cancer is not a case of death anymore, like you know, was the case 20 or 40 years ago. And uh, same thing happening with heart disease. Diabetes is um, a little bit easier in terms of the like sources of this disease and more difficult to fight it because you would need to follow pretty strict diet, uh, diet um, and lifestyle regime on that. And like neurogenerative diseases, we... We are still at a very early stage, even to understand where it comes from. So aging is is extremely complex process, starting your body after the age of 40 or 45, and it's almost inevitable. Um, and uh, we are actually in unique intersection of uh, time, you know, in unique uh, intersection of scientific discoveries and technological breakthroughs. Finally, like the whole history of humanity, we are about to reach the point when we can reverse aging or stop aging process in your body if we influence the right genes and we imply this, there's so many different solutions from, uh, um, from this area. And we're going to reach this point in 10 to 20 years from now. This is what I call a near horizon on, of longevity in, uh, in a book. And before that, we just need to follow current best practices to stay on this longevity bridge. So then in 10, 20 years time from now, your body and mind is actually worth uh, considering, uh, sorry, worth extending uh, its resource. When you were talking about that, when I was reading your book, I was thinking back to a scene in Batman where they say uh, that Batman against the Joker was an unstoppable force against an immovable object. And that's kind of yeah. how I see this fight, like, uh, modern science, AI, all these other amazing things against Mother Nature in the future. Yeah, but this is right. And for some people, if they're just comfortable with this metaphor or what we're trying to do in the field, uh, the average lifespan on the planet increased you know, by two times in the last 100 years. Mm -hmm. So if you if you go back in 1930s or 40s, uh, well, 1930s, I, I think the average lifespan, even in developed world, were like 35 to 40 years. And so the, we've made a lot of discoveries and a lot of changes in, in hygiene and medicine and drug discovery in, in medical devices uh, to fight that. Like invention and massive use of antibiotics uh, added 10 years to our average lifespan on the planet in very like in just in two decades we started to live on uh from 35 years on average to 45 years on leverage and this is endless process this is happening anyway and well then it's up to you to realize that and make important conclusions for your own life today or to uh, be shocked in kind of few years or decades from now and and we're not you know and be not prepared uh, to face that
this was one of the big takeaways that I have that I had from your book. I looked at the uh, upwards curve of a lifespan, and it was going back 200 or so years, I think back to something like the 1850s. And I was just completely shocked how it was just this near perfect curve. And it got me thinking kind of, where is this going to end up? I mean, you talk about 150, you talk about 200 years. Could you kind of talk yeah. about the, um, I believe in the book you termed it the, uh, oh, the term is escaping me, the sound the barrier of aging. Ah, yeah, sound the barrier. Sound yeah. Barrier of aging. Yeah, sound yeah, well, it's just another. So I just shared with you one set of figures, which is um, about our average lifespan. And average lifespan, again, increased from 35, 40 years to like 75, 80 years today in the last 100 years. There's the other interesting piece of that is that maximum lifespan that we had on Earth in the last 100 years hasn't moved at all. So it was always like the, like the oldest people on the planet, like centenarians, always would die in the age of, well, somewhere between 118 and 120, 122. Um, so the oldest person on planet died um, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, she was French. And um, it, it, it's always fascinating to realize, like, whatever our statistical achievements in terms of increasing the average lifespan, the maximum lifespan was always stayed the same. It's, some, it's almost like this biological sound barrier that was unbreakable before and, and, and still unbreakable, where, like, whatever you do, like, you're going to die by, well, at best case scenario, when you, when you celebrate your 120 years birthday. Uh, so, but so, and the reason being that we haven't had a science and we haven't had a technology to look into the origin of aging, to look at the uh, this 3000 longevity genes, and we haven't been able to modify. Uh, sorry, this is one of my four kids. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, so we haven't been able to like break this barrier, but what will happen in the next 10, 20 years? We will have an opportunity to look at this longevity genes, to like switch them on, switch them off. And um, uh, it's, it, it will just fundamentally will give us completely different ability to break the sound barrier. So longevity and longevity technologies and science in the next 20 years will not be about avoiding early death. It's going to be about age reversal. And we already seen some experiment when, when you can reverse your biological age. Uh, and actually all of us can do the same. Um, and uh, But like we'll just tackle this on completely different fundamental ability through gene editing, gene therapy, uh, organ regeneration, longevity in the bill. We will have a special, very different class of drugs which will tackle aging at its core and fight all or almost all age-related diseases and your risks uh, uh, um, related to them um, in 10, 20 years from now. What I, I find really interesting is that 10 to 20 years from now, the person listening to this now might think, you know, wow, that's, that's really soon. Kind of what, what gives you the sort of confidence to say that, that the future is that close on the horizon? Yeah, so a uh, few things. And and they and as always, I, they mutually exclusive. On one side, 
this is just a forecast, right? This is just one guy who invested a lot in longevity technologies, trying to share you know, his own framework with all of you. So in a way, it's pretty irresponsible promise because like no one knows the future. But what I do know is that um, the quantity of discoveries and inventions and breakthroughs that I see these days, even like the changes that we've seen in the last three to five years, give me very high confidence that we're going to break this barrier. Obviously, like you would like, I'm 49. So to check whether, whether I'm going to be living beyond 122, all of us would need to wait for 73 years. So it's in a way, it's easy for me to be you know, as visionary as that because we're talking about uh, big numbers here, that whole population of the planet or even developed world. Uh, so that's why you, should, you shouldn't take this for granted or at face value, this whole framework, but it's just important tool to organize your thinking and make important conclusions like what awaits for us in the next 10 to 20 years. But uh, on the other side, um, uh, I just wanted to use gene therapy and genetic example for you to illustrate how many things that we can do in 30 years. 30 years ago, it took US $3 billion and 13 years to sequence human genome. They were about to stop this project in first two years because i think in the first two years they they um sequenced like a one or two percent of the human genome so they quickly calculate they will just need to run for another 50 or 100 years they were about to stop it and then it's exponential increase in computing power and and uh right now it's actually invention and introduction of artificial intelligence help them to complete it in six years six years three billion dollars uh, one human genome Right now, you can do the same like in a few hours and for $200. We all now, and, and then like 30 years ago, this was available to a handful of people, literally, who had nothing to lose on that planet. They would have like very rare genetic disease. They were about to die. Right now, we all participating in, in a global and hopefully positive, I, I do think it's positive experiment of using gene therapy. Uh, Moderna, AstraZeneca, a few other COVID vaccines are the outcome of gene therapy. And we've been able to, um, to develop this and offer this to, the, to test and offer this to the public in, 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 in very short period of time. I just seen an article, um, I forgot what was New York Times or some, something else, two weeks ago, and it says Moderna vaccine has been developed in the course of two days. Some of the vaccines in the history of humanity, it took like few decades to develop them. And, and here, here we are, it's two days. Obviously, they, they, Moderna worked a lot of years to be uh, close and create this success. But in the end of the day, this is how, um, uh, this is how uh, quick we've been able to respond to that. And, and it was just like 30 years. Uh, well, that's why I'm very hopeful about what, can happen in the next 10, 20 years from now. There's no doubt that I guess a technological, a massive technological revolution is underway. And I'm like you, I'm very, very excited this year. Um, I'd love to go back to your book because in the book, you lay out some great ideas, I would say, for how humans will extend their lifespan. You go through at the end of the book, simple 
really diet and lifespan tips. You go into AI, you talk about genomic uh, engineering, organ and tissue repair, diagnostic devices, health data. How close are we to these things being widely available across the market to say the average everyday person? Um, well, this is my biggest question because my mission is uh, affordable and accessible version of medicine. Mm. And uh, in, in 10, 20 years time from now, like the biggest obstacles for us to live longer is not going to be science, not going to be technology, but it's going to be all these accessibility issues, mm. uh, our ability to implement and execute that our ethics and uh, regulation. So that's, that's the biggest problem. Um, so that's, that's kind of one thought. Uh, second thought, mm, and this is where we need to change our paradigm here. We're waiting for the change to come from the old traditional players, like um, insurance companies, our healthcare providers, uh, you know, governments, big pharma, biotech firms as well. But I do believe the change in healthcare will come not from old players doing new things, but from new players doing completely new things. So I, I do think we're going to see like a huge disruption in this space. And this will come from um, technological companies. Obviously, life is not going to be like black and white as I define. And, and it's going to be a combination of the old working system and like a new technology as well, new technology layer on, on top of that. But I'm, I'm intentionally radical here just to get my message across. The biggest healthcare companies on earth in 10 years from now going to be called Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. And look what they're doing. Like we've seen, watch out Apple. Apple has a, a, like a track record of disrupting so many spaces and they investing, like over-investing into health. That's why I moved from Fitbit before it was bought by Google, which just reconfirms my point to Apple Watch. Because, you know, Apple, I, I just seen a report uh, came out early last year from Morgan Stanley saying Apple can make 50% of its revenue from healthcare in, by the end of this decade. So they're pretty serious about their investment in healthcare. And, and the new technological version of healthcare is going to be more data-driven, more wearables, uh, and, and sensors driven, uh, more driven by artificial intelligence in combination with human intelligence. So our doctors will receive a big hand of help from, uh, from, from big tech, from technological companies and, and entrepreneurs as well. This is what actually makes me very hopeful in terms of our ability to have access to that. Like a, a recent Apple Watch, uh, well, like latest Apple Watch can do electrocardiogram, can detect five different types of your heart problems. You fall down in the street, it can call your relatives and can call ambulance for you, even if you like, if you cannot do anything. It can measure uh, like a level of oxygen in your blood. And this is how they responded to COVID. It's not like really precise, but if you're on the plane or you just want to check, like, is, do I have any radical problem? You can use that. So Apple, you know, Feedbit, uh, Oura Ring, uh, Whoop, you know, uh, Garmin, uh, this, this, uh, these are the variables which will become our personalized healthcare devices. And with, with addition of um, our blood pressure monitoring, glucose monitoring, um, 
which they will add to this device or create like a separate separate sensor, which I wear today, which is continuous glucose monitor. Um, it's going to be like 90% of the data that we would need to collect around, uh, about our body. And this will give us enormous ability to prevent uh, major diseases, to know if you're running like even a smaller risk of this disease and then go to your doctor uh, proactively. So you'll have much better chances to recover, much cheaper version of medicine because it's high tech and it's very pre pre uh, preventive. Uh, so the quality of our life and the quantity of our, of our life are going to be extended uh, pretty soon, but not by the means that you expect. Uh, it's going to be new data-driven, highly technological, AI-enabled uh, means. The change in mindset that we have to make when it comes to health from reactive to proactive and the typical version i guess of medicine in the west is one of a very reactive model it's kind of playing whack-a-mole something appears and then you, you treat it um what do you think are the biggest failings of modern medicine or modern healthcare? um well number of things um first of all it's it's very symptomatic and there's like whatever we have today, there's a, like a good logical reason behind that. Uh, like today, in today's world, you would need to wait until disease will manifest itself before you go into doctor. And then, uh, you know, it, it's sometimes it's like stage three, stage four cancer. Like, like there's almost nothing you can do about it at uh, this stage in, in, in some of the cases or in majority of uh, cases. Um, and the reason behind that, that we haven't had this, all these diagnostic tools before. But right now, things have changed. You can do like very early diagnostic of cancer. You can you know, get like full body MRI. Uh, it's going to be all analyzed by artificial intelligence before it goes to your doctor. And, um, and um, like combination of human intelligence and artificial intelligence is highly successful in like early detection. Like... In the case of breast cancer, early stage breast cancer, if you compare artificial intelligence and human doctor combined, they are 98% successful in detecting early stage uh, breast cancer. If you take doctor along, when he or she is under enormous time pressure, and that's unfortunate reality for majority of them, the chances of success uh, for early detection is like 38%. Again, they obviously you can increase it if you give doctors more time uh, to do their job. But this is the difference. This is where a combination of artificial intelligence and uh, human intelligence um, is just much better. Well, that's why we're talking about uh, proactive medicine and and um, looking at the root cause of uh, cause of diseases rather than being reactive and symptomatic. So that's one. Second thing you know, our communication and like data protocols are not even suitable for um, for the new version of medicine, which is more data-driven. Like we still haven't sorted out the privacy issue. A lot of people are afraid to share their health data or um, it's, it's the case for US, like 60% of the data transfer uh, happening between, um, uh, within some of the healthcare system, between different vendors, um, it's happening by fax. When was the last time you've seen fax machine? Well, I don't even remember <laughs> this date. It's here, yeah. 
but this is what is happening. Obviously, what 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 can we say about your ability to like to have all your health data in one place and then offer this to human intelligence of the doctor and artificial intelligence of the uh, computer program, uh, which helps this doctor to uh, uh, perform his or her job. Uh, well, this is this is the other problem, and um, and obviously regulation is is other problem as well. The regulation system that we uh, have and we had in in the world were about you know very traditional cycle. Like it it takes twelve years to develop and test the drug in the U.S. and it's two point six billion dollars exercise because of the high failure rate. Uh, right now, artificial intelligence, uh, big data processing is is compressing this cycle. You know, it's not going to be like from 12 to two years because you need, you know, still you still need to test on humans. But right now, um, you can uh, find the targets like th- which you're going to test against this particular disease or indication much much faster with artificial intelligence. So that's like year or year and a half from this uh, cycle. You can. Uh, use like different synthetic models of human body um, and human mind to do the like initial trials or test your hypothesis as well. So there's so many things that we can do with technology. You talked there about the importance, I guess, of, as you turned in the book, checking yourself. And wasn't that the same thing, which didn't Angelina Jolie uh, use a similar? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think the case, I'm not like super familiar with Angelina Jolie case, but what has happened, I think, they look at her genetic footprint, like sequence her genome, and, and they discovered that uh, she has extremely high risk of developing breast cancer. And uh, it was reconfirmed by her family history. That's why when you see doctor, uh, they always will, would ask you like, but what's your like family history of different diseases? And um, she took a proactive approach in, in managing uh, these risks. And, and well, it's just importance of our genetic setup in terms of early you know, identification of the um, risk area. So I've done like in the last five years, I've done my annual screening uh, again every year. This year for me was June 8th. I've done it in San Diego, California in Human Longevity Clinic. But it's available everywhere. You know, doctors love the idea of uh, health screening because it helps them to identify your risk area much, much uh, earlier. And this time we've done um, a sequencing of my genome and they were looking at 160 uh, different genes in my uh, genome associated usually with high risk uh, profile for different killer diseases like cancer, heart disease, some of the rare genetic diseases, and they haven't found any. And if, the, if they would find you know, like anything, uh, find anything concerning, then would, I, I would just do like the testing, the diagnostic of this particular risk area much, much frequently and, and be more proactive. Because like the earlier you detect disease, your chances to recover, like early stage cancer for some of the cancer types, recovery rates are 93 to 100%. Imagine that. Well, that's the importance of annual diagnostic. And right now, what you're doing diagnostic is highly, you know, it's real, real high tech. Like AL algorithm in 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 the typical MRI machine is is upgraded like every month, you know, based on the knowledge and of they derive from the scans that they do. And uh, and uh, obviously, they they respect the data privacy, privacy. But like 
Uh, this is just amazing what is happening in the field of medical devices. We invested in a company called Eco Imaging, and they developed the um, like affordable ultrasound device, and it's the size of our smartphone. Cost two thousand dollars, which is fifty times less than the ultrasound device in the hospital next door. It might not be as efficient, uh, but I'm still you know super positive about this whole thing. But it's much more affordable. Uh, and it's like whatever scans you do, you don't need a doctor to do it. You can ask nurse or you can even like an emergency situation and can do it yourself. Everything goes to the cloud. It's pre-analyzed by artificial intelligence, intelligence and then doctor receive a report and half of his or her job is done. So you, you see the risk area and then it's up to you and to your doctor how you handle that. If I was to kind of flip the switch to the other end, I think that there may be people listening now who would say, living to 150 or 200, very exciting prospect. But to look at, say, the ethical concerns, I guess, that people may have, what would you say to people um, who may be listening to this and wondering, uh, would people live until 150 or 200 be dangerous or would it even be selfish for people to live that long? What would you say to those? Yeah, that bothers me a lot. And, and actually I wrote like a separate, it's the final chapter in the book uh, called morality of immortality. And, and this is where I talk about the ethics of uh, longevity. And it's very important. Um, on average, three fourths of the people, at least in developed world, if you ask them if they want to extend their life, they would say no. Why is that? I'm, I'm like super positive guy and I'm part of this field. It's, it's okay for me to be as optimistic as I am today. But I was, I was really concerned and I was just trying to understand why we are so pessimistic about uh, uh, this whole thing. And there's, there's so many reasons behind it. But like the main reason, we, we developing technologies and the science to extend our lives. But we haven't developed like a created a life that we want to extend. Mm -hmm. Look at the version of the world that we, we created. Inequality gap is widening every year. And that's really bad. We haven't done anything to solve that. Or <clears throat> our relationship with mother nature. You know, we are so selfish, so short term in our choices, how we handle <clears throat> like plastic waste, you know, all other ecological damage, like global warming as well. Uh, <clears throat> I do think it's time to take back control and responsibility, not only for our health, but the health of the planet. Or <clears throat> the other concern is, um, is about our social constructs, like uh, yeah, marriage, uh, career, retirement, as, as concept. Uh, has been created for the version of the world where you would live like 35 or 45 years on average. If we're all going to live longer, how our social constructs should, should evolve? Two-thirds of the marriages uh, are going through the divorce stage in, in the first five or seven years in the uh, developed world. Um, and uh, like, shall we just think about and have a conversation uh, about different variety level of you know, organizing our families or cap yeah and, and it's, it, it should bring more responsibility and comfort to all parties should it be like kids raising partnerships something like that what about career 
Uh, can I have as many careers and, and changes on my job or my passion, you know, my um, uh, work area as decades in, uh, in my life? Uh, or this whole concept of retirement is, is so binary. I'm either like working full time or, I'm, you know, I'm really retired. And the world is really not black and white. We shouldn't be as binary as we are today. But that's just, um, I forgot what was the name, uh, what was the title of the book like? But it says, um, two most dangerous years of your life in terms of mortality is the year of your birth because we still have pretty high infant mortality in, in, like in, in relative terms and year of your retirement. Because when you retire, you, you lose your, your very important, like a social circle, the working circle, your ability to contribute to society, to community. There's quite a lot of people who rediscovered themselves, but for some of the people, it's just a personal drama. They, they don't realize. Uh, so again, or like, um, overpopulation of the planet and, and uh, resource constraints. Like some people are concerned about, would we have enough food to feed all these people? How little do we know that 45% of the food goes to waste every night in the US from restaurants, our households, from supermarkets. We have plenty of food on, you know, on this planet, which is not really efficient with distribution of that. And, and this is just like a tip of the iceberg. This I can give you like, so many ethical dilemmas around radical longevity. But, and, and we need to have this conversation today, not in 25 years from now. This is very clear. And, uh, and until we uh, will solve these ethical problems, until we will create a new version of the world, which is much more positive, human-friendly, it's going to be very difficult for all of us to embrace the idea of... Um, uh, living longer but again this is happening whether we accept it or not and there are so many important takeaways and so many many important decisions and paradigm changes that we need to to do in regards to our own health and our health span and lifespan as well i would love to kind of take this away from the ethical side of things and turn this towards things that people could do today so towards the end of the book you talk about you give a really, really good, I believe it was 10 different things of things. 10 longevity could, choices. 10 longevity choices. Could you give us maybe two or three that you think people sure. could? Uh, yeah. Like, remember, we're talking about complex subjects, so I'll give you five. Oh, <laughs> please, please. Five this is you on that one. So bonus chapter of the book is it's right in the end of the book, and it's actually twice as long as like in comparison to any other chapter of the book. And, and this is the reason why I am in longevity field. I mean, it's beautiful to work and, and support all these scientific breakthroughs and technologies, uh, which are going to be available to us in 10 to 20 years from now. But like, what about changing something today? And this is my kind of main mission, my main passion. Uh, be prepared. Some of them sounds really obvious. Like my mom told me that. Uh, but well, that's that's the reality. Like, and we shouldn't you know, shouldn't make things more complex. Uh, life is complex anyway. Um, so when like five, I, I call it five longevity buckets. Uh, just a shorter version of uh, ten longevity choices. Like number one, your annual health screening. When I when I have time to speak about only one thing, 
you know, I speak about the importance of screening, like early diagnostic cancer, heart disease, diabetes, neurogenerative disease. This is your way to add like at least 10 plus years to your life and, and decrease your healthcare costs and increase the quality of your life after treatment. This is, well, let's just concentrate on that. See your doctor, have a conversation uh, and say, you know, I want to be more mindful of like my, the level of my health. Yeah, well, I just do as comprehensive version of the screening as I can afford uh, or you can offer and you'll take it from there. Uh, so that's one. Second, I call it passive longevity or like uh, uh, in the simple words, it's like don't die stupid. Tobacco smoking is minus 10 years from your life. Drinking alcohol and driving cars like minus three to five years from your life. And I know countries where you can drink one or two glasses of wine and you can drive car. Like my family has you know, zero alcohol tolerance policy uh, for driving. And you should do the same. Like using seat belts. I know countries, I travel a lot. So I know countries when you, if you're on the rear seats uh, of your car, it's not kind of cool to use your seat belt. I, I just, I couldn't use uh, the country name because uh, I loved it. Uh, but like, I, I, it was literally three weeks ago, I went to this country, to the capital, and um, I went to the Uber and, um, and I'm like, where's the seatbelt on the rear seat? And I, uh, well, you're like the first guy in three years while I'm driving asking this question. Um, so just not taking unnecessary, so we're like motorcycle driving. Motorcycle driving is 17 times more mortal than driving a car. 17. This is awful. This is irrational choice for me. Okay. I, I, yeah, I should move on. Otherwise, I'll sound like your uh, mom uh, or dad. So like number three, again, very important is your diet. Food is our medicine. And, uh, and we dedicated all, uh, dedicate and delegated all our health and food-related choices to other uh, parties, like big food, industrial food producers, regulators, supermarkets, canteens, restaurants. Well, it's time to have our voice. And there's a lot of disagreement what actually extends our life today um, in, in academic circles, but there's only one, like one real agreement is like decreasing your calorie can take by 15 to 25% would extend your healthy life by three, five, or even seven years. So, and while it's obviously, it's easier to say like decrease your food intake by 25% calories intake, not food. Uh, but like how you do this. So my, um, my life hacks on that, just be as plant-based as possible because vegetables are our friends. Uh, they're not really, um, uh, they, not, they don't contain a lot of uh, calories anyway. They contain a lot of fiber, which is good for your health and your microbiome. microbiome. Uh, so that's kind of one thing. And second thing, like a window of fasting, when you fast for 16 hours and then you eat only in the course of like eight hours, uh, there's the other version of that, like 16, uh, sorry, 18 hours fasting every uh, day and like six hours food intake window. You can do that. Uh, you know, I'm fasting 36 hours every week from Monday evening to Wednesday morning. But you don't need to be as radical as that. And I know very few people who has medical indication which goes against their fasting. See your doctor if you're in doubt. But 
It's such a beautiful thing. Obviously, taking out all the sugar, like sugar drinks, uh, sweets, you know, is um, is extremely important. Number four is uh, physical activity. And when again, remember my my earlier point that we we are so binary as, as human beings. Like we're so binary about physical activity. So it's I'm either like going for marathon, or I'm I'm trying to become Iron Man or Iron Woman, or I'm just singing. Yeah, in my you know, in my home and at my home and just watching football. That's that's two extremes. You don't need to be so binary about this whole thing. Yeah, use your wearable. Remember, wearable will become your personalized healthcare device. And it doesn't matter whether it's Garmin, Apple Watch, Fitbit, Whoop, like whatever you like. Measure ten thousand steps a day. You can integrate walking and this ten thousand steps in almost like every activity during your life, every day. And, and this is two-thirds of your physical activity agenda. And then on top of that, if you like yoga stretching, add it. If you like weightlifting, add it. Cardio, beautiful, do that. Even chess is great because uh, it uh, helps you to prevent neurogenerative diseases and, and brain, brain degradation. Um, so that's, that's on kind of sport and physical activity. And number five is, um, I call it peace of mind. And this is about the importance of happiness. Um, because if you are unhappy, like, why would you want to have more years of your life? Um, and then to be happy, to be mentally, um, healthy, uh, three things. One is importance of sleep. Uh, it's a beautiful book by Matthew Walker. It, it's my personal book of year 2019, uh, called why we sleep. Um, and I remember I met in London, a, a very interesting guy. His name is Dr. Jake. Uh, uh, Jack Crandall, and um, he's a, he's uh, one of the founders of Human Performance Optimization Center. He works with people who are uh, Jack Crandall. Yeah, um, he works with people who just went through very difficult recovery uh, uh, because of the cancer or with high performance athletes. And I'm like, I met him for lunch, and I my first question was, okay, come on, Jack, if you have one minute, what is like one advice you give to people? And he started was with Sergey. Every evening, we can visit the, the best clinic in the world. We, we, we go to bed and we sleep. And I thought, what a beautiful way to explain like, how important sleep is for all of us. So my rule is like eight hours in the bed, seven hours of sleep. This is very important. The, the next thing within this like a peace of mind bucket is, is meditation and mindfulness. And you don't need to be like spiritual or religious about uh, this whole thing. It's, it's, it's pretty mechanistic process, or you can think about this this way. There's so many apps like Headspace, Calm, any other app, like so many practices around the world for meditation. We all have extremely high cortisol level, and this is um, stress hormone. Our body when was not created to handle that. We, we were created to handle like peak stresses and then it should decrease almost like in the first 15 minutes after you've seen a bear or the tiger in the forest and you're kind of trying to run with certain degree of success. <clears throat> but we will live in like because of this constantly negative news around us, the CNN, um, uh, we all full of stress all the time, day and night. So decrease that like meditation is the best thing. And finally, having your sense of purpose, like be socially realized, helping others, being like a best version of yourself, giving to the people and to the universe more than you take is very important. And like making the world a better place is like, is a no regret move anyway. I love it. I could speak to you 
about this stuff all day long. I really appreciate some all the value you've brought today. Um, at the end of every podcast, we always uh, sign off with uh, a final question. I think it'll be interesting to ask you this because I think it really ties into a lot of the work uh, you're doing. Perhaps this could be the why behind some of this stuff you're doing. And the question that we always ask at the end of each podcast is what makes a life worth living? Great question. And I haven't found the answer until the age of 43. I'm 49 today. So I was trying, and, and like for me, money was always an important resource because I was like the older son uh, in the family. And uh, from the age of 18, my two parents, my younger brother was solely dependent on my income. That's it, because it was just collapse of Soviet Union. My both parents lost their job. And like from the age of 18, I've been working full time and I've been studying full time. Uh, it was possible uh, at that time. And um, I always thought like we always have this tendency to replace money with uh, like meaning of life. And I, I, because of this kind of family situation, money was like super important for me all the time. And then when you, when you work for money for a certain period of time, <clears throat> you almost like you have like personal de deformation you kind of think the money is like super important. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but when I discovered that, like if I can help others to live longer, healthy and happier life, if I can share the best uh, of me with uh, these people, if I can help other, others to be champions, to be winners, to be happy people, this, this was like the first time in my life where I found the passion, where I felt my goodness, this is, this is why I was created. This is why I was born. And since that, my last, it was like last six years of my life was like the happiest period of, of my life overall. It's, it's been amazing. Like see how others can prosper, can be better, can be healthier. It's like the biggest joy I've ever discovered in, in my life. So that's, this is what I can share and, and hopefully this will resonate with uh, uh, some of the thoughts of uh, our audience. Beautiful answer. Where can these guys connect with you and where would you like to signpost our audience to? <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Joy. Um, well, the easiest uh, way to connect is to go to sergeyyoung.com and sign up for our newsletters. Uh, we also have an amazing book offer on, on this website. So if you buy uh, or pre-order book today, uh, you'll get like free access to Longevity Video Academy. This is 12 videos, 10 minutes each, where, where I talk about different developments and longevity technology and some of the lifestyle changes that you can do. A couple of books, uh, free books as well on the um, health of our kids and, and the diet as well. So this is like the easiest thing. And, and book is doing great. Like we, so we recorded this just a few weeks before the launch date, but um, we already number one uh, in uh, on Amazon in uh, preventive medicine category, in longevity category, and in aging category. So this, this is just enormous success for given where we are with the book uh, launch cycle. So I'm 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 really grateful for uh, you know all this support and uh, hopefully um, my you know impact number in terms of the lives change will increase after this book will be out. We will link everything below. Let me pay my gratitude to you, Sugi, for the great work in which you were doing and for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure, man.
Thank you. You guys doing a great job. Thank you for sharing you know, all of this with, uh, with our audience. And to all of you, please stay healthy and happy.